T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Time now for the nightcap. Who are you talking to right now? Do you know how much I make a year? I mean, even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. Do you know what would happen if I suddenly decided to stop going into work? A business big enough that it could be listed on the NASDAQ goes belly up. Disappears. It ceases to exist without me. No, you clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No, I am the one who knocks. On WGR Sports Radio 550. I watched an episode of Breaking Bad last night. Did you? I did. Even though I've been through it the series five times. Which one? I picked a random one. I think I was season three, episode four. Wow. I think. Good stuff. It was my last day with Netflix. It was the last day with Netflix because I moved on to another service. Which is? Uh, I, I got a bit of a, a package thing. So I got Showtime and Hulu. Mm. We're on the Hulu grind at home, too. We, uh, yeah. We've been missing Friday Night Lights oh. since they got taken off Netflix. Oh. But the good news is... Missed it so much. Found it on Hulu. So it's guess what Hulu. we're binging again now. Friday Night Lights. Mm-hmm. Great show. Rank the quarterbacks on Friday Night Lights. Rank the quarterbacks on Friday Night Lights. Number one's got to be Vince Howard. Vince Howard. Jason... Mm, no. Matt Saracen, number two. Winner, leader. Yeah, I think Jason so. Street, last. Couldn't make a tackle. Man, <laughs> That's you a little are harsh. Hardcore. Uh, it was a little harsh. Okay, I apologize. Um, yeah, I had to decide. I, I knocked another movie off my bucket list that everybody's been yelling at me that I have to see. Just in time. My last day, Netflix. I got, I got it off. The Departed. I had never seen The Departed. Eight out of ten. Matt Damon. There's a lot of actors in that. Yeah, Matt, there, Matt there, Damon, there are. Leonardo DiCaprio, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Douglas, Alec Baldwin. I'm missing something. Wahlberg's not in that. Mark is he? Wahlberg's is in he? it. He, yeah. Spoiler alert: He comes out victorious the at the end. <laughs> yeah. It's been a few years since I've seen that. Oh, that was a very good movie. Yeah. Um. All right. The name's uh. The name is Jonathan Huberto. That's the name I've been teasing for so long. Jonathan Huberto. He's my new Jeff Skinner in terms of a guy that I'm not obsessed with the Sabres getting, but I really want the Sabres to get this guy. And today, the report comes out, Frank Saravelli, TSN, puts him on the trade bait list with a report that Florida is all in on getting Panarin and Bobrovsky, both of them, long-term. That will be really tough for them to work out cap-wise. Him putting Huberto on that trade bait list makes a little bit of sense. Makes a little bit of sense. He's a very good player. That's not that bad a salary. But they'll probably have to do something if they want to go out and get Panarin and Bobrovsky. And don't get me wrong, Panarin's definitely a better player than Huberto. I'd rather have him. But I don't think the Sabres have a prayer at getting him. Free agency, trade, whatever. 
if they're going to pick somebody out, Huberto does kind of make sense. Because you're not going to do it with Barkov. Barkov's on an insane contract. $5.9 million. That's one of the elite players in the league. That doesn't get talked about a lot. And Hoffman at 5.1, but he's got a no-trade uh, thing. Um, you've got Trocheck under contract, 4.75. He's a very good player, but that's not a bad cap hit. He's got another four years. Like, that's perfect. Dadnoff's a super good player. He's only $4 million. So you've got some salary there, but you've got... Like, they've done an amazing job with their cap. All of those are team-friendly contracts. Huberto's probably the least team-friendly of them, even though I would still qualify it as team-friendly. 60 to 70 point guy at 69 points this year. I think he's on pace for over 70 this year, almost a point a game. 25 years old, 5.9 million a year until 2023. So he's got another four years after this year at that salary. That is the player that makes total sense for the Buffalo Sabres if they can get their hands on him. I'm not sure that how realistic it is that he actually is traded because for him to be traded, I think Florida's got to land both Panarin and Bobrovsky. It would be weird, though, parting ways with a guy you have for five more years at that friendly of a contract, putting him on the trade, putting like, him on the block, and bringing in free agents? To me, they have so many friendly contracts that if they are going to do that, then I think some well, you got to give up one of those team-friendly contracts. Like I, I'd rather do this with, I wouldn't say I'd rather, but I'd gladly take Vincent Trocek off their hands, just under $5 million. I Barkov, they're not trading in hell. Um like Huberto, if he does get dealt, he's on the trade bait list now. The Sabres need to be in on that. I think something has to happen. If that trade were to go down to, between Columbus or you have to get another team involved on a side deal. Right. Because you well, have Roberto Luongo at age 39 as well on the books until 2022. And you, they're not getting out of that contract. With a modified no-trade clause. Unless there might be some retirement thing that happens. Um, but there's like a cap penalty even if he retires. It would only be one year maybe. Reimer at 3.4, like they got $8 million tied up in net. That's a big problem for why I don't think they'd be able to fit both Bobrovsky and uh, Panarin in under a contract like that. First of all, they're going to have to find a way to move Reimer out of there to do that. But if they are dead set on doing that, which is the report, they got to do something. And Huberto might be some, that something. Sabres need to be in on that. Perfect fit. Second line center. 60-70 to 70 point player. Um, good speed. Not great speed, but good speed. Phenomenal hands. He's versatile, too. He's played wing a lot through his career, but he's he's natural center. He reminds me, actually, like stylistically, of Charlie Coyle, who we've talked a lot about on the station as a guy the Sabres could get. That doesn't seem realistic anymore because Minnesota's got Miko Koivu out for the year. They kind of need... like They might not be able to afford losing two centermen they've had all year, so Coyle probably stays there. Huberto is that style of player, but I think he's a lot better. At least point production-wise, he's definitely a lot better. I don't know what that costs. It probably costs a lot. The idea I had earlier, and we talked about Ristolainen last week. I wasn't on board with moving on from him. But, if I can get a Huberto, and they want Ristolainen, I'm perfectly willing to do that. Even if they wanted Ristolainen and something else. If they wanted Ristolainen and Nylander, like you're not getting something super valuable for me. Like you're not getting Ristolainen in the Sabres first round pick. Maybe you could even sneak that Blues or Sharks pick out of me. You're not getting the Sabres first round pick with Risto. But like if you want Nylander, who's a struggling prospect but was a ninth overall pick at one point, that's something I think should be absolutely be realistic and the Sabres should consider. Because Huberto fixes the biggest problem on the team right now. And I think even though I really like Ristolainen, and I'm fine with him as my second best defenseman for the next decade, 
that's easier to replace. I think you can replace that. One guy I compared him to last week, Tyler Myers. He's going to be a free agent this summer. There's a lot of things to put together, but you can go out and pay Tyler Myers a similar number that Ristolainen makes, and you're going to get a drop-off, but not a major one, I don't think. Like, what's Ristolainen? Ristolainen's a two or a three on a really good team. And what's Myers? He's a three or a four on a really good team. They do have to figure out something to do with their blue line. Because they are struggling mightily. And you can't just add in a free agent. They have too many contracts. Somebody would be have to be moved. And like I said, Ristolainen wouldn't be the guy I would pick for this unless you're getting a player of the caliber of Jonathan Huberto. But he does have the most value on that blue line if somebody would realistically trade. They're not trading Dalene. Ristolainen has the most value. Almost wish so hard, so bad that Peter Shirelli was still in the league because you know that guy would pay a premium to get Rasmus Ristolainen. And you look at the rest of the Sabres D. Bogosian at 5.1. You're not moving that contract. Scandella at 4 million. Only one more year, but you're not moving that contract. Nathan Beaulieu, probably not here next year. Trade request, he's an RFA. Hunwick is here at 2.25. Jake McCabe's an RFA. You got to decide whether you want to sign him, which you probably want to do. And he probably costs you a lot less than Ristolainen does. Pilot here. Darlene here. Gooley, who knows at this point. If there's going to be a big change on that blue line, where does it come? If you wanted Tyler Myers, I'm just using him as an example. Because if you wanted to fix the problem for agency, that might be the guy, even though he's already been here. Or Jake Gardner, if you want to use him for this too. He's UFA. Because I'm assuming they're not getting Eric Carlson, right? Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Maybe he would want to teach the young Padawan, Rasmus Dahlin. Oh, those two in a pair would be unbelievable. Never mind. I stop dreaming. I'm already th- I'm imagining Eric Carlson say uniform. Stop. McCabe is an RFA. You could trade him if you want. But like I said, they got to do something. Otherwise, you're coming back with largely the same blue line. I don't think they can get rid of Scandella and Bogosian. I don't think you can get out of that. So they're gonna ha- they they don't have to, but they might want to make a call on one of these guys that has value. And especially if you can find guys that are available that are of equal value at another position, especially a position right now at center, that they could definitely use one, especially in a guy in Huberto who is versatile enough that he can move if Middlestack comes in and like, oh, boom, he's a second-line center. That is a great idea for a trade, I think. Because you're not really losing the value. You're trading Ristolainen, and that hurts. But you are replenishing or you're replacing that value just in another spot. And ideally, that works. Huberto would have been perfect for them this season. I don't know why Florida's moving him, or I know why Florida's moving him, if they want to do this other giant stuff. But he's the perfect fit for Buffalo right now. He's only 25 years old. I mean, we're talking about a guy that would be here long term. In a contract that's not that bad. And he's versatile. So, like I said, if Middlestat shows up next year and he's a 60-point player... At age 21, which is not out of the realm of possibility, I don't think. He has come on very strong the past few games, Middlestat. Since that bye week, he's been one of the Sabres' best forwards, easily. 
Like, the dam is about to burst. I thought he was kind of... He, he looked lost a lot in the early part of the season. Not really anymore. He is all over the puck. Possession numbers, way up since he come back from the bye week. Part of that might be Reinhardt on his line. But middle stat looks different. He looks fast. He looks like he's all over players with the puck. He looks like he's doing a good job in the corners. And I don't really know how he's doing that because he's not built at all right now. So maybe I should be even more enthusiastic or excited for maybe, like, if he goes out this offseason and gets ripped, kind of like Nylander did and Reinhardt did after his, like, rookie season, like, we kind of see that. Like, guys show up and, eh, they're not really in an NHL body. They're still very young. And then there's that one offseason where they come back and they're like, oh, my gosh, you got to see a picture of him. If Middlestat's already playing this well, like, along the boards and in the corners, which I think he has, especially recently, like, he very well could be ready for that big role next year. If not, you could have another plan, which they didn't really have this year. Like, that was Berglund, and that failed epically. I just, I love the idea of getting Jonathan Huberto in here. I love it. So I'm I'm almost hoping at this point, I'm really hoping that Florida is able to, act, to get Bobrovsky and Panarin. I really am. I don't care that they're in my division. And that they'll get players that good. I'm worried about the Sabres right now. And if that means that a team in my division is going to go get two players that good, so be it. I'm hoping Florida gets Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky. Just, I'm going back in time now, and it just gets weirder and weirder what they're attempting to do with this news. Because obviously, ten, no more than 10 days ago, maybe two weeks ago at the most, they they traded for two UFAs and sent Nick Bukestad to Pittsburgh. Right. Not, I, that was a salary that they got rid of. Yeah. It wasn't a huge one, I don't think. For, another team-friendly, $4 million. How did they get 20, all these guys 20, 2021? Oh, they sent yeah, Jared like. McCann in the process. The big thing was a second-round pick and two-fourths, but they took on Derek Broussard's contract, for now, who's a UFA, and Riley Sheehan for Nick Bukestad, who was the youngest of the bunch, aside from McCann, who for lack of a better term, and, you know, at this point in his career, still very much an unproven prospect, 22 years old. Who's only 22 years old? Jared McCann. Oh, McCann. Yeah, yeah. Like said. Um, yeah. So you wonder, if they pull off the Bobrovsky-Panarin thing, and you can swoop in there and take cap off their hands because they will be taking on a higher salary cap yeah. with those guys on the books, at least for this year, you wonder if you can do a trade like that. I mean, they're going to need relief somewhere. Throw in some of the picks you have a surplus of. Find a guy that's a UFA, what comes to mind is Jason Pominville. But it'll be sure. difficult because he's older than Derek Broussard. I mean, 31 as opposed to age 36, but they're both going to be free agents. Yep. Broussard, at the time of the trade, had 15 points. It does seem like they're, they're clearing room. Yeah. They're clearing room for this offseason because they want Bobrovsky and Panarin long-term. That's the reports. I, I think I know why they have so many team-friendly contracts. There's no taxes. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's it. Is that why Nikita Kucherov is signed for is less that, than $9 million? Yeah, Tampa. How do they fit all these contracts in? Because they're getting guys at a little bit of a lower rate because you don't have taxes in Florida. And the Panthers still can't figure it out. Just gets weirder and weirder. I, I just I love the idea of getting Huberto. I'm almost obsessed with it now. Which is probably a bad thing to be because I don't really know how realistic it is that he's actually moved. I don't know. I just love the idea for Buffalo. Like, that's the player they need to target. 
that guy, under contract, 25 years old or younger. And I'd be willing to move on from Nylander, even as like a throw-in. I think he, that's what he is at this point. Yeah, he's playing better in Rochester. Year three. That should have happened tw- like 18 months ago that we should have been hearing about. Oh, he's finally getting it together in the AHL. And some guys do take longer in the minors to develop. But it's not that common anymore. Generally, guys show up now if you're going to be really good players. Like, pretty immediately. Even in the bottom six roles. Look at what Larson and Giergensen's are now. By the way, they had a phenomenal game last night. Larson, maybe his best game of the season. Dude was all over the puck. You could not take it off his stick. It's kind of been the story with them all season. They will keep the puck and not score, but they'll keep the puck. And Larson was especially great at it last night. Anyways, the point is, those two even, like, they're bottom six guys. They got here pretty early. Gierkinson showed up after one year. Larson showed up, I think, after a year and a half. And then he was kind of back and forth. But he showed up after a year and a half. He earned his way up. And we haven't seen that with Nylander yet. He is being passed over by seventh-round picks. And Victor Olofsson. If a guy got called up tomorrow for a top six role, it would probably be Olofsson. Not Nylander. So I'm fine with him being a throw-in in a trade like that. Um, that's where I'm at with him. And like I said on Risto, I, I think I can, repl- I can replace what he does to an extent. Not completely, but I can fill it in in large part. And... I don't know. The the blue line is going to be so interesting how they do it because I don't know how many options they have. This is kind of where I was at with the, with the forwards last year. We were sitting here and the team was awful and you're just like, I don't know what they're going to do at forward. Like, I don't know how they pull this off. I'm like, I think that, that's your Reinhardt. They're going to do something. And to their credit, they're, they're better forward than they were last year, I would say. Because um, Skinner there, and there was a good addition, and Sherry was starting to come on a little bit as of late, I think in part because middle stats come on. Um, so yeah, Jonathan Huberto. Why are the Flyers and Penguins playing another stadium series game? Another one. Don't look at me. I'm more upset at the jerseys they produce for it. Oh, those are disgusting. They're just one color, right? For the most yeah, part? Yeah, and I, think, I, I recall this discussion. It's basically like Elementary school orange highlighter. Right. It's just... Mm. Right. Um, Flyers and Penguins are in action right now, by the way. That's why I mentioned that. And the Penguins are the team closest to the Sabres in the playoff race. Uh, two points ahead of them. And the score of that game right now is 2 to nothing in favor of Pittsburgh. So, not great. Not great so far. Uh, if they win, the Sabres will be four back. And it's starting to feel like a lot more. It really is. I mean, they're going to have to put together another win streak if they want to make playoffs. There's not going to be 10 again. But some point in this year, they might have to rattle off six or seven in a row. This was the opportunity to do it with that homestand. And it hasn't gone terribly, but and you had a wanted chance, more. You had a chance to catch a team when they were down two on Sunday and salvage those two points. At least yep. get one by getting that game to the extra frame. But my God, Winnipeg was... Thrashed in Montreal, thrashed in Ottawa, and they came into your building and they outworked you. Yeah. After all that travel on the East Coast and getting their doors blown in a day ago in Ottawa. 
Is it me, or does it seem like the Sabres more than other teams, especially teams I've watched, they get caught on the ice more? Like at the end of their shifts. Yeah. They look dog-tired more often. Look at the Carolina game. Maybe they just need to be taking quicker shifts. Because that happens a lot. It cost them a point. Yeah. If you go back to the Carolina game, Rasmus Dahlin was on the ice for, what, a minute and 20, a minute and 40 right. seconds? Like and then yeah. Lacoste sprung down the ice. And he didn't have the energy to Doesn't catch him. Doesn't have the legs. I've, there's several times this year where I've seen like Skinner, Eichel, other, uh, anybody really. And I'm expecting them to be off the ice because the play's been like dumped in or something. And it'll come back in the other end. And I'm like, wait, why are you still out there? Maybe maybe I'm just I don't know maybe I'm just looking for things to pick at for Housley, but I'm pretty sure I've noticed that, that more often than not, or um more often than in the past that their like their shifts just seem longer. I wonder if I can I wonder if you can look up what the average shift is for each team in the NHL. That's a very advanced stat that I'm not sure many people would care about, so it might not be available. I'm not sure. Anyways. We'll uh, get into some football talk next. Jonathan Jones of SI with uh, One Bills Live earlier today. We'll get back into some football when we come back. Also, before we get out of here, I got to address there's an update in the Troy Aikman tweet saga from way back when. Something happened today that I just don't understand why it happened with that. So that'll be a little bit later, too. Jonathan Jones next here on the Nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap. Promise that we'll get back into some football talk, so let's do that here. Sports Illustrated's Jonathan Jones met, or was on the phone, with John Murphy and Steve Tasker earlier today on One Bills Live. Here is Jonathan Jones. When you rely on Jonathan Jones on the line with us. Jonathan, welcome. John Murphy, Steve Tasker in Buffalo. Thank you very much. Fellas, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Can we The breaking news, can we get right to that with you? Uh, Kareem Hunt goes to the Browns. What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, you know, the Browns say that they've done their due diligence. Uh, they uh, are a believer in second chances. You know, this is an organization that, um, you know, dealt with Josh Gordon's uh, addiction. Uh, these two things are very different, right? Uh, assault on a on a female is, is far different than uh, dealing with a star player's addiction. But uh, if we just want to talk about uh, quote-unquote adversity, uh, right, and Kareem clearly feels comfortable about this situation. You know, I'm certainly going to let time play out before uh, we decide whether or not it, it, it was a good call by them. Uh, but, you know, if we're simply talking football, uh, if that is possible uh, to do, uh, this is clearly a good pickup for the Browns. I really like what they had with Nick Chubb. Uh, now they add Kareem Hunt, and obviously they have Duke Johnson back there. So Browns' backfield is loaded, uh, and, you know, however you feel ethically or morally about this, uh, the Browns seem to uh, certainly value football over that. Well, one of the, there's two th- things, entities that are going to have something to say about it. One, obviously, the Cleveland Brown fans. What will they think of the Browns signing Kareem Hunt after the video surfaced of him uh, kicking a, a woman? And then also the NFL. I mean, they're going to probably divvy out some sort of suspension or some form of punishment uh, to Hunt as well. And what what will that be, and when will we find out what it is? Well, I certainly wouldn't want to speak for Cleveland Browns fans, uh, but I'll say this about the punishment. Uh, I think that you have to be anticipating a minimum of four games uh, from the commissioner. If I remember correctly, I think Kareem Hunt and his representation wanted to get that suspension ball rolling as quickly as possible last season. Uh, not to play cynic, but that could have been a major factor into him owning up 
for his actions as quickly as he did once the video came out. Uh, let's not forget, of course, that uh, he, he said one thing before the video came out, and he said something else when the video did come out. So um, you, you would have to imagine that it's going to be at least a four-game suspension, so the Browns probably shouldn't look to have, and I can't imagine they would expect to have Kareem Hunt on the field until October of 2019. Jonathan, you, you, you uh, made a comparison to Josh Gordon and his troubles and what he um, – what he did, uh, you know, with the Browns and then with the Patriots after that. But isn't it different, though? I mean, uh, domestic violence, and especially when it's recorded on video, it's it's like the third rail of NFL behavior. You can't touch that. I'm, I guess I'm, I'm. we were talking about it this morning, actually, Steve and I, before we went on the air, about what team it might take that would be able to withstand the, the storm of controversy that would accompany signing uh, Kareem Hunt. What makes that the Cleveland Browns, do you think, able to handle that? Yeah, well, I, I certainly, you know, they, these two are not the same. It's simply that, that the Browns have dealt with a star player's quote-unquote adversity. And, I got gotcha. you. Certainly yep. Josh, yeah, yeah. And so certainly Josh Gordon's uh, addictions are, are, are far different from Kareem Hunt choosing to assault a female. Uh, all that said, though, um, why would they want to do it? Well, they, they, you know, the obvious choice is that they want to win games. They're not trying to, to win any, any awards from a uh, – from you know a, a women's groups, right? By by this making this signing, they want to win football games. They like the quarterback that they have, obviously. They like the receivers that they have. They should like their offensive line. I thought they had a very good backfield at the start of training camp last year. I thought that Nick Chubb was a uh, highly underrated running back. Um, you know, I'm, I live in North Carolina, so I watched a, a good deal of Nick Chubb in college at Georgia, uh, and I knew what they were getting in Nick Chubb, and I think that bared out over the season. So. Um, you know, if this is going to take away touches from Nick Chubb, I don't know if that makes them a better team. Um, and But, you know, the the Browns, just like any team that would be willing to sign uh, Kareem Hunt, I think probably put their morals or ethics on the back burner, um, you know, in, in making this signing, hoping to win football games. Well, one other thing about a player that's coming uh, to the NFL uh, – Kareem Hunt off the cut list and off the what is going to be the suspension list. There's another player that's going to enter the draft, Kyler Murray, who is a, a real talented player, a, a really productive college quarterback at Oklahoma, and a first round draft pick in the ba- in Major League Baseball. Now has came out today and said he's going to go football full go. Um, what do you make of that decision? Is it the right one? Well, you know, the, the right decision is what is what Kyler Murray wants to do. I talked to a Major League Baseball executive who essentially said Kyler Murray, while being the number nine overall pick, is the number nine pick really any year, which is to say he's a fantastic baseball talent. He's a top ten pick, but he is not some generational talent, right? He's not Bryce Harper. He's not Steven Strasburg. Uh, and so he's the number nine pick this year. He'd be the number nine pick next year, so on and so forth. When you look at, at his abilities in football, uh, you know, you, you compare potential career earnings. Obviously, he can make more money in football in the next five years than he would in baseball. The argument could certainly be made that if he uh, goes into the stratosphere of a top 10 MLB player and has a 22-year MLB career, which is unheard of, obviously, in football, then, of course, he would make more money. So if you're looking at it from a money perspective, it's, it's football. If you're looking at it from a talent perspective, uh, a Heisman Trophy winner who is right here on the front end uh, of this offensive revolution in the NFL, then it's probably football as well because talking with that MLB exec, you know, uh, he still has to figure out the strike zone a little bit. He doesn't have that strong of a baseball arm. 
So there's a lot going on there. And then, of course, if he's in the minor leagues for two, three years, he's going to be riding a bus to minor league stadiums for two or three years. It's not exactly a glamorous life for a former Heisman Trophy winner who could be making you know, $22 million guaranteed in the NFL. So uh, if this is a decision that, he, that is best for him, he is right to fully commit to football because I know that's what NFL types want to hear. They don't want to hear any half in and half out, and that's what we're going to get from Kyler Murray here until the draft. We're on the Subway Fresh Take Hotline with uh, Jonathan Jones, Sports Illustrated's national NFL writer. And what brought us to you, Jonathan, to get you on the show as a guest with a post that you put up on SI.com, the offseason quarterback moves each NFL team should consider. And you start the article by pointing out that this is a different year for quarterbacks, especially when it comes to draft pick quarterbacks, isn't it? It's nothing like last year and really nothing like we've seen in a while in the NFL. Yeah, there's, there's no quarterback that you're going to say, hey, that guy has the potential to be the number one overall pick. I think right now everyone is certainly targeting pass rushers here as the top overall pick. And then honestly, until a team that needs a quarterback trades up into the top five, you look at the first five draft picks, I don't see a team that needs a quarterback in the top five. That's when you get to six and the Giants. I think the Jags are there at seven. That's when you start getting into it. So uh, certainly there are going to be teams that trade up. Uh, I think I think that knowing draft history, knowing how badly uh, teams need quarterbacks uh, who fiend after quarterbacks, if you will, there will be moves to to make up. But yeah, a Dwayne Haskins or a Kyler Murray, right? Depending on who you talk to, and probably the consensus is Dwayne Haskins out of Ohio State is the top quarterback in this draft. But so far, very few indications that he is a top uh, overall pick selection. Uh, you know, obviously the same goes for Kyler Murray. Uh, forgetting what Cliff Kingsbury said a couple of months back when he was still the coach at Texas Tech. Um, and then you look at the free agent market and the top guys out there. Uh, you know, I'm going to lump Nick Foles into that. I think we all understand he's not technically a free agent, but he probably will not be with the Philadelphia Eagles next year. You look at a Joe Flacco, still technically not a free agent. And then, of course, Teddy Bridgewater, uh, who proved in his short time both in the preseason and then in his spot play with the New Orleans Saints that he is a top 32 starting quarterback in the NFL. And, Jonathan, the market is driven by need, too. Who needs a quarterback? And as you point out in your post on SI.com, there are not a whole lot of teams who are desperate for a quarterback. Steve's heard me say this uh, conversation I had with Thomas Dimitrov a couple of years ago at the Super Bowl, and he said, if you don't have your franchise quarterback, you are consumed by the search for that quarterback. How many teams are consumed by the search for a quarterback right now this spring? Well, I think... You know, 32 NFL teams. I think I had 15 that should that should reasonably be looking at uh, a quarterback either as a starter or as a significant backup. I think the Buffalo Bills, for example, have that. I liked what I saw out of Matt Barkley. I think that you know, for whatever reason, it worked for Matt Barkley in Buffalo. So, and you know, obviously, I think Derek Anderson's uh, signed there through this year. So that's another great veteran presence in the locker room that uh, honestly should have been there going into last season. And then, of course, Josh Allen. But when you look at the teams that absolutely do not have a quarterback uh, and should not uh, have a quarterback going into the 2019 season, you, you have uh, Denver, you have Washington, and you have Jacksonville. I understand Denver has Case Keenum. There's no way they go into week one uh, of 2019 with Case Keenum. Uh, Jacksonville has to upgrade over Blake Bortles and Cody Kessler. And then Washington... Uh, with the Alex Smith injury, I know they like Colt McCoy, and maybe they have to roll with Colt McCoy because uh, of the cap situation. You know, paying Alex Smith twenty million plus 
and he's not going to be playing next season uh, by all indications. So those are the three teams right now of 32 that I'm looking at and saying, okay, they need a starting quarterback. Outside of that, though, uh, you're, you're really struggling to find a team that has a gaping hole at sports' most important position. I'm a little surprised uh, Miami's not on your list there. Oh, well, yeah, I'm sorry. And I was going off the top of my head, yes, no. However, Miami is in a unique situation. The other three teams that I mentioned are interested in winning in 2019. The Miami (laughs) Dolphins are not interested in winning in 2019. One could argue they weren't all that interested in winning last season either, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) looking at their quarterback room. But there are reports out there, I think, by the Miami Herald that the tank is on in Miami. It would make sense. Uh, I think tank has a negative connotation. But when you're as bad as the Miami Dolphins probably will be next year, and when you're looking to improve yourself, uh, tanking is a is a reasonable and logical option. So, uh, yes, I would not at all be surprised. In fact, I think I linked Blake Bortles to Miami. You have to get somebody out there that, like, you know, your team's going to be like, wow, we're obviously uh, – you don't want the team to think we're obviously losing uh, and, and that the product on the field is going to be terrible, but the product on the field will be terrible uh, with whoever – is the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, one of the things about this coming up draft is we've got some free agency that has to iron itself out, and there's going to be some guys that are probably going to be available, like maybe even Joe Flacco, or, um, and you can go down the list. Uh, and the, the, really, for me, the top team in the NFL's draft order that may be in the market for quarterback is at number six, and that's the New York Giants. Uh, certainly they can go as long as they want with Eli Manning, but at some point, with particularly with Jacksonville right behind them, if there was a quarterback that somebody wanted to jump up, jump up and get, and I'm not saying that there is, uh, one of those teams up in the top five or six might be able to trade down or sideways with the Giants to make sure the Giants stay ahead of Jacksonville. Or if the free agent singing doesn't work out, uh, you know, maybe Jacksonville is the one that jumps ahead of the Giants just to make sure they get the top quarterback in the draft. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting game of chicken there uh, with those two teams. I know Dave Gettleman covered the Carolina Panthers for a number of years, and he was obviously the general manager uh, in Charlotte during some of those years. He does not want to give up uh, future picks in order to move up in the draft. And so I would keep that in mind. Dave Gettleman really doesn't like giving up future picks in order to move up a couple of spots. I believe the Giants have to. Um, I believe that this should be Eli Manning's last season. Uh, it makes sense from a contract pr- perspective. Everything makes sense, right? You get a guy you, uh, at, at number six, or maybe you move up to four or three or something like that. Uh, he ca- he mostly sits behind Eli Manning. He gets some spot duty uh, throughout the 2019 season. The torch is respectfully passed because you know that the owners of the New York Giants uh, will treat Eli Manning with respect. Uh, if we can go back to what ultimately got Ben McAdoo fired and how sort of disrespectful that was, even if it was the right move, how, how poorly it was handled uh, certainly was a large part in his ouster from New York. So um, everything makes sense for the Giants to take a quarterback. If we had more time for another segment, uh, we could talk about whether they should have taken one last year over Saquon Barkley, <laughs> which is I know no one, no one in the Giants wants to say that, but I still kind of believe that. Uh, but, no, it absolutely makes sense the Giants need to move on from Eli Manning. Uh, and it, it only makes sense that they'll do it 
uh, starting in this draft. I know we're almost out of time here, John. I do want to ask you about a couple of other NFL issues, including uh, I believe you've had some thoughts on this. Steve and I were talking about the Super Bowl because we were off last week after the game, and Edelman, okay, I can accept. I wouldn't have voted for him. I can accept Julian Edelman as the MVP of the game. But I also thought after that game a couple of Sundays ago, there was a ridiculous claim made that Edelman could be, should be, uh, considered considered for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I think that's ludicrous. What do you think? Yeah, it's absolutely ludicrous, and I'm not really sure why why it was said. Uh, I think Adam Schefter was the one who kind of like put it out there, and maybe some others agreed with him. It is a ludicrous idea. Uh, he basically needs to double up uh, on Super Bowl MVPs and crucial catches in the Super Bowl and yeah. uh, career receiving yards before we ever discuss something like that. So. No, it, it is it is a little ludicrous. Yeah, I, I kind of had to agree with you because I mean he's got less than fifty five hundred yards of career receiving, um, and he's got he does have four hundred ninety nine receptions. But I think you know people got caught up in the moment of how many key plays he's made in Super Bowls, and for me that comes with a lot of opportunity. He's played in a bunch of them, and good for him. But that's also a kind of a team accomplishment as well. Uh, and also a function of the guy who pulls the trigger in New England as well, too. So, um, yeah, I, I thought it was a little bit premature, and I thought it was a little bit getting caught up in the moment of him being the MVP of the Super Bowl. But I, I don't think there's any question, as I just mentioned, the guy throwing it to him, Tom Brady. Um, coming into the game, Murph and I were talking about it all week, the, kind of, the conversation about the greatest quarterback of all time was kind of put to bed before this game. But right. after this game, with the Patriots winning and the sixth title, Tom Brady's kind of put it out of reach, hasn't he? Well, and that's that's exactly it. It is the, the more he plays, it's just putting it more and more out of reach, right? It's it's Cal Ripken after breaking Lou Gehrig's record and then just playing, you know, the next day and the next day. Mm-hmm. That's that's exactly what this is, and so. You know, it, honestly, he he doesn't have to go to any more Super Bowls to be the the hands down goat, and any more that he does go to will only make it all that more difficult and a hard salary cap error for anyone else uh, to ever surpass him in in a relevant and recent amount of time into the future that we can really foresee. One more Patriots question for you, uh, Jonathan, because they're our second favorite team. No, not at all, not even close. But uh, everybody praises, and it's it's. Real people praise Brady for his competitiveness, his desire to play to an advanced age, how competitive he is, how how prepared he is. We don't kind of—I don't think we give that sort of the same consideration to his coach, Bill Belichick, who apparently the competitive fire burns pretty uh, pretty hot with him too to keep going after these championships year after year after year again. Uh, maybe is that an underrated thing about Belichick's success—the fact that he's still going after it hard after all these years? Yeah, and he doesn't wear it on his sleeve. And, right. and I was talking with a, I was talking with a couple people uh, during Super Bowl week. I think it was Jim Nance who, who just said, "Look, he's comfortable with his place in history." And I think, and Bill would never ever admit this, right? Um, and, and maybe the the goat conversation uh, about head coaches is a little bit closer between Bill Belichick and number two than it is with Tom Brady and number two, right? But yeah. I, I think I can make a pretty convincing argument that Bill Belichick's the greatest of all time, and anything else that he does on that is, is icing on the cake. Um, but he is very comfortable, I think, with his place in history. He understands, loves, and appreciates NFL history more than anything, and I think he knows uh, that when you are the best, or at least even when you're striving to be the best, uh, the greats in history 
don't have to stand up on other people's shoulders and scream, hey, I'm the best, and look at what I do to make myself become the best. So uh, I think that's where you get a lot of that, that fire with Bill Belichick that maybe goes unnoticed, and I don't think you'd have it any other way. Well, we got to stop talking about the Patriots. Our viewers and listeners get mad. Steve and I found out a couple weeks ago. We get mad. We get cranky with each other as well. So, <laughs> Hey, Jonathan, great work on Sports Illustrated and SI.com. Thank you for spending a few minutes with us here this afternoon. Hope we can talk again sometime. Hey, sounds great, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks. There he is, Jonathan Jones on One Bills Live. We'll take a quick timeout, and then I've got to give you an update on what happened on the uh... – something happened with my Troy Aikman, Ryan Fitzpatrick tweet today. And I'm confused by it. So we'll do that before we get out of here on the Nightcap on WGR. Only got a minute here because I went late. My Troy Aikman, Ryan Fitzpatrick tweet has been taken down. And for what reason? I don't know. How did you hear about this? Uh, a listener actually tweeted at me this morning and asked me if I deleted it. And I'm like, no, I didn't delete it. So I just casually looked back. I'm like, it's gone. How long has it been? Has it been a happy October, year? October, I think. No, it was longer than that. It was a summer. No, it, was like, it? it was like the first week of October. Really? Yeah, that's where I had to go back to. Oh. Maybe he reported me for spam. It wasn't spam. It was just just wondering what the listener was, was doing looking for this tweet, too. That's a great, better question. What was this listener doing? Right. But I, I guess... I was either hacked and it was deleted. Maybe Aikman had his people hack me and delete it. Although it seems strange because it happened so long ago. Or maybe Twitter thought it was spam and he reported me for it. I don't know. R.I.P. R.I.P. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Catch the whole show on demand at WGR550.com. I'll be back on Wednesday, Sabres and Islanders tomorrow. Later. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 